From my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about a really important topic that's often not discussed enough, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So to speak with us about this, I have Paige Bellenbaum. She's the program director from the Motherhood Center of New York. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we start chatting. Paige Bellenbaum, licensed social worker, started her social work career at a homeless shelter for families in San Francisco, where she built a $4 million housing and aftercare program for families transitioning from homelessness to permanent housing. She then moved to New York City in 2000 to get her master's of social work at Columbia University. After her son Max was born, Paige suffered from severe postpartum depression that almost cost her her life. Once she began to heal, she became committed to fighting for education, screening, and treatment for postpartum depression so that no more women have to suffer silently. Paige currently is the program director of the Motherhood Center in New York City and is also steering the committee of the New York City Maternal Depression Collaborative that is responsible for implementing the First Lady's commitment to screening every new and expectant mother for postpartum depression. Hi, Paige. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Deb? Oh, I'm doing well, so I'm glad we got the whole technical part of this settled and we can jump into our chat. Okay. <laughs> so before we start talking about this big topic, would you tell me a little bit about what brought you to this work and maybe some of your own experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I am a very proud, lucky mother of two. I have my son, Max, who's 11, and my daughter, Ella, who is nine now. Um, and I suffered acute postpartum depression and anxiety after my son, Max was born 11 years ago. Um, even as a social worker and a trained clinician who, uh, has education and being able to, to determine other people's mental health issues and symptoms, I had absolutely no idea what was going on with me. Um, I was incredibly depressed, incredibly anxious, um, and it got so acute that it reached a point where it had almost cost me my own life, and it was at that point where I knew I needed to get help. Um, I did seek treatment, and I did slowly but surely start to feel better, more like myself again, connected to my son. And when I came out on the other side of the experience, I found myself feeling really angry that so many women, the more and more women that I'd spoken to and shared my own experience with had said they'd had the same experience and that nobody was talking about this. Nobody was 
um, talking about how to get better from this. Um, and with a public policy background, which is what I have, I resorted to legislation and ended up writing a bill for New York State uh, that was introduced back and passed and signed into law in 2014 that basically makes education mandatory for women before they leave the hospital and also strongly encourages providers, uh, pediatricians, OBGYNs, to screen pregnant and new mothers for postpartum depression. Uh, and now I'm so lucky that my ultimate dream has been finalized that we just recently opened a center 10 months ago called the Motherhood Center. And our primary mission is to treat pregnant and postpartum moms who are suffering from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. That's amazing. When How did you know to seek treatment? Could you tell from your own experience knowing, you know, being a, a licensed social worker? So for me, it was a very specific incident um, that transpired. I mean, there was no question that for months I was suffering um, and really kind of lost the ability to function in a lot of ways. And it was for me one day uh, I was walking down the street with my son in a stroller and I hadn't been out for weeks. Um, it's one of the things that that happens to women who suffer from postpartum depression in particular at this just not even wanting to leave the house, not to socialize, not to have to hold a conversation or have anyone see you in the place that you're in. But I left the house and I was walking down the street. I just remember um, everything felt so surreal. Everything felt so gray and bland and hopeless and helpless. And as I got to the corner, there was a bus coming um, from the right of me. Uh, and as it got closer, I just had this overwhelming urge to jump in front of the bus and just end it all so that I, A, didn't have to feel as miserable as I felt and B, didn't have to put my son through the misery of having a mother who wasn't able to care for him. Um, I did not do that that day. Um, it took every ounce of, of strength and will in my body not to. But after the bus passed is when I realized that it, I was bad and I needed some help. And I actually put myself in a cab um, and asked the driver to take me to the Payne Whitney Women's Clinic, which was at that time really one of the only places around uh, to help women with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And it was that day that I got diagnosed and started treatment. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, one that you had that you knew to do that, to like get in the cab and take action, because a lot of women probably wouldn't know what to do. No. Yeah, it's true. A lot of women don't know what to do. Um, and I, I just before got, I got on this call with you is running a group um, in our day program, which I certainly can explain more in detail later. It's one of the treatment options that we offer here at the Motherhood Center. Um, but so many women um, not knowing what to do with these symptoms uh, that are affiliated with the depression and anxiety, um, not knowing where to go for help or what to do, um, and a lot of guilt around feeling like they should have done something sooner. Um, but they made it here. Um, and it's so great that we finally have a place that sole intent and purpose is to help these moms feel better. Do you feel that you were hiding your, your experience and your depression from your, your family and friends? Yeah, it's a very common symptom um, or it's affiliated with the symptoms of depression and anxiety, both during pregnancy and postpartum. There's this incredible element of guilt and shame 
that women experience, shame for not loving this, not being good at this, uh, wishing that it had never happened, feeling unconnected to your baby, uh, wish it, feeling as though this is the biggest mistake you've ever made and you just want to buy a one-way ticket to another country and never come back and just run away. There's so much guilt and shame that comes along with those feelings that so many women, including myself, hide them. Um, there's this whole other category of, of things that happens to women that are suffering from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders around scary and intrusive thoughts where these thoughts will just pop into your head that like you're going to drop the baby or throw the baby or something horrible is going to happen and they just come out of nowhere. And these feelings are so uncomfortable and shameful that so many women keep them inside and don't tell anybody the severity of what they're going through. And, and I am guilty as charged. I, I thought it was obvious because I spent most of my days crying on the sofa and I wasn't going out and I was worried about everything. But, you know, for partners, sometimes it's hard to know, is that normal? Is it not? Like, should I be worried? Um, when, when, when a woman doesn't get into the grave details of what's going on for her, it's, it's often very, hard for people to know. Um, and that's by design. Women oftentimes don't want people to know how bad they feel. Wow. That, that's a bit mind blowing. I mean, it's the, the layers of, of the guilt and the shame and, and then having to hide it and just keep going. And then you feel even more isolated and more alone. Yep. Isolation and loneliness are definitely two of the most rampant feelings that go along with postpartum depression. Uh, and, you know, it's so interesting. This comes up over and over again, and I really feel like there needs to be a body of research done about it. When we think about history and how women conceived um, many, many years ago, where there was extended family all around, there was aunts and cousins and uncles and sisters and and people around to help a mother immediately postpartum, hold the baby, feed the baby, let the mom take a nap, go grocery shopping, and how isolated our culture has become over the years and how infrequently, especially in a place like New York, women and their partners have family nearby either sets of parents or, you know, extended family, it's way more often that women and their partners are isolated. And so then your partner goes to work and you're left with this baby all day long without any adult interaction, with a complete sense of loss of identity, because this is not who you were before you had the baby. Um, and so it is, it's really lonely. I remember having a conversation with my husband about this. He wanted to move out to the suburbs before um, our second child was born. And I told him, I said, if I am in the suburbs in a house by myself with just this baby, as opposed to, you know, cause then to see people you usually have to, you know, get in a car or at least walk a bit as opposed to New York city. I found it so much easier just to step outside the apartment building. If I was just going to whole foods yep. and it, it helped me just interact with the world again, because yep. it can be so isolated, especially in the winter. Yep, absolutely. How common is perinatal mood and anxiety disorder for women? It's incredibly common. Um, I was just reading an article yesterday um, by the Huffington Post. The most recent body of research suggests that one in four women experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder in the pregnancy period. 
Um, typically, what we say is one in five women experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And perinatal really covers the timeline of conception up to 12 months postpartum. Uh, and so one in five. Now, those of us that specialize in this area of work and know that because even in this day and age when we're starting to talk about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders more, there's still, again, an amazing amount of shame and guilt, which really keeps women from coming forward. And then there's this other layer that also complicates it, where some women are afraid that if they tell somebody how bad they're feeling, that their baby's going to be taken away. And I share that because when you peel those layers away, we really think it's more like one in three. Wow. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And, and what's the range? Like, um, you know, you were talking about the, for, and you're so wonderful to be vulnerable and disclose. You're like, you want to jump in front of a bus. What's the range? Is it just, can someone have more just blues and and kind of weepy all the way to suicidal. Is that the full range? Yes, absolutely. So um, the latter is uh, that 80% of all women postpartum experience some level of baby blues, which can be weepiness, feeling emotional, um, you know, feeling incredibly exhausted after everything your body's gone through. Um, typically, uh, what, what, clinicians like to look for and what our indicator is, is that baby blues really shouldn't last for more than two weeks. If they last beyond that and they start to increase, um, that's when we want to administer a screen and really get a sense of how severe the symptoms are. So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is an umbrella for a number of different diagnoses um, that happen to women in the perinatal period. So there's uh, anxiety, depression, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and in the most severe cases, um, psychosis um, and mania. Uh, and so these symptoms can be more mild to moderate. Uh, you know, for women who find themselves crying more frequently than not, having a little bit of difficulty sleeping, perhaps their appetite is impacted, feeling a sense of anxiety that wasn't there prior to the baby coming or prior to their pregnancy, um, that's usually a more mild to moderate case. What we do here at the Motherhood Center is we cater to everyone across the spectrum of acuity. So we have outpatient treatment for moms that are more mild to moderate. So they see a therapist and or go on medication. 
But we also have a day program for moms that are really, really struggling, that have acute symptoms. These are moms that are crying all day. Uh, They're feeling acute anxiety that's significantly impacting their ability to sleep or their appetite. They're feeling rageful and irritable. This is something that, you know, people don't necessarily... um, connect to depression or anxiety, but it's very common in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, this rage and anger that often throws women off, especially if that's not their baseline. Um, These impulsive thoughts and these negative thoughts that keep racing through their mind, jumping to conclusions and generalizing, even with the littlest situation whereby maybe a mom is struggling to get her baby to take a nap, it then becomes catastrophized and then she's convinced that the baby's never going to sleep again and then something horrible is going to happen to the baby and the baby will end up in the hospital. So women in the day program and in the most severe cases, their ability to function is really inhibited by their symptoms. As you go through the symptoms, I feel like, you know, I've I've encountered thousands of postnatal women. I'm starting to see some you know, I've remembered like certain women are coming into my mind that showed these symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember several times seeing moms almost like the OCD that you were talking about, like had to wash their hands very, very, very thoroughly before touching their own baby or yep. change the diaper constantly if the baby made a little whimper um, yep. or you know, sometimes even got up and left, like the baby's not sleeping. This is going to affect the rest of the day. It's going to affect her sleep. And, and I think at the moment I just, I'm like, Oh, you know, I hope she's okay. But now I'm realizing it was a much bigger situation going on when partners and friends see this, how, what can they do to support the mom and help her find help? So there's a couple of things that partners can do. I mean, I think first and foremost, it's important for all partners, whether you um, are experiencing the mother having these symptoms or not, just educate yourself. Psychoeducation is so important. Just know what the baby blues are. Know what postpartum depression and anxiety looks like, because then you're armed with some tools to recognize when and if you're seeing these things happen in front of you. And if you are, Um, you know, it's important to try to speak to mom about how she's feeling. You know, so often after a baby's born, we always want to know, how's the baby? How's the baby sleeping? How's the baby eating? Oh, the baby looks so cute. But what about mom? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Tell me how you really feel. Um, That gives moms an opportunity to A, feel a little bit of attention. And if they feel comfortable enough to say, I'm having a really hard time. Um, and then, you know, if you're here in New York City, call the Motherhood Center. It's what we do. Um, we have women come in for an evaluation, and then we determine what the best course of treatment is for them, if it's outpatient therapy or coming to the day program. And the good news is, and we know this to be true, everybody who gets treatment gets better. It's a non-negotiable. Um, it's just getting yourself in and through the doors to get the treatment. Do you know of other places around for those that are not in New York City? Yes. So Postpartum Support International has been around since the 90s, I believe. Um, They are uh, an organization that exists um, and has a presence in every city and every state and in some instances um, an international presence. They have a hotline um, that women can call to find out if some of their symptoms actually fit into the category of a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. They can refer you to uh, clinicians in your town that can treat you and help you uh, get through it, either through talk therapy or support groups or medication. Um, so Postpartum Support International, PSI, is everywhere. 
uh, and they that's what they do. They connect you to treatment wherever you are. I'll make sure we have that in our show notes. So if someone is, for whatever reason, um, nervous to reach out, do, do, will these go away on their own, these anxiety and mood disorders? It's a really good question. So again, kind of going back to the scale of acuity, there are some women who suffer mild to moderate symptoms. And in time, they do lift and they do feel better and they are able to feel a connection to their baby and experience joy in, in daily living and things that they used to experience joy in before. In more moderate to severe cases, no. Um, we see a lot of women who come through the doors here that are on their second child and perhaps they have a three or four-year-old at home and they've been suffering from postpartum depression or anxiety that entire time because they never got treated. So in some instances, and I wish I could say that 40% of all perinatal mood and anxiety disorders go away over time. Unfortunately, we don't have any clinical data to support that. But if you're feeling really bad, the chances are you need an intervention and you need some help to get you back to your old self. I had a friend that had OCD and, and I could see the, this is more than baby blues, it's really OCD. And I spoke to her husband and I was afraid to speak to her because I was afraid I was going to offend her. What do you, what do friends do? Because partners, I think, have, you know, a more intimate relationship. What can friends do to help? I think that's exactly, they can, they can say something. I think that's exactly right. I can say in my case, we had a friend, I'll never forget it. And Sack, if you're listening out there, of all the people that came over in that first six months after my son was born, who witnessed me constantly checking to see if he was breathing, if he was still alive, um, crying because one of my breasts was much bigger than the other and I was convinced he wasn't getting any milk and he was going to die. Pacing back and forth trying to get him to fall asleep. Only being able to have him on me and not being able to put him anywhere else. Crying uncontrollably. Of all the people that witnessed that, only one person in our life, in our friendship circle, said to my husband, pulled him aside and said, she's not okay. This is not normal. She needs help. And I'll never forget that. And I, I can't thank her enough for that because I think that's when my husband really started paying attention and realizing something was wrong. My incident happened very shortly after that. But absolutely, because you know what? Nine times out of 10, a mom, if you do approach her and ask her how she's doing, because of that guilt and shame, might very well say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I feel great. Really, it's fine. And the thing to know about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, when we think about a more generalized depression, right, that's completely debilitating, where people literally want to crawl up into a ball and pull a blanket over their head and never leave their room again, when you're a new mom <clears throat> with severe depression and or anxiety, you have no choice. You're taking care of a human being, right? And so you are feeding and changing and burping and bouncing and doing all of these things. But inside, all you feel like doing is just turning off. And so what I mean to say is that women are so good at pretending that they're okay, right? Like we'll have women come into the motherhood center that are dressed to a T, their hair is done, their makeup is done, they look gorgeous, beautiful, their baby's dressed so nice, they get into an office, the door shuts, and they completely fall apart. So the moral of this story is do not judge a book by its cover. Just because a mom appears to have it all together, it might be absolutely the opposite going on inside. But yes, friends and family talk to partners, say, hey, I think, I think something's not right here. 
Yeah, I I'd spent our children, my second, her first, are pretty close in age. So we spent a lot of time together while we were on maternity leave together. And I, she'd been a great friend um, for years, and I and she was already having anxiety stuff. So I I knew something was wrong, but it took a lot. And I feel, and I feel guilt to not having done it earlier, but it took a lot to say something. And I could feel that many times friends may have the best intention, but they don't know if they're overstepping their boundaries. So I guess the kind of the moral is speak up. You're better to speak up than, than sit with it. You really are. And I don't like, yes, you are in many different ways, right? On the one hand, by speaking up, you are very likely making a tremendous impact on that mother's life, right? Like by alerting her her partner or even speaking to her about it, you're giving her permission to have those feelings. You're giving her the support that she needs or her partner's giving her the support that she needs to be able to talk openly about how uncomfortable and hopeless and lonely the feeling is. So you're opening up the door for this to really exist and also still be her friend no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what good friends do. And then, you know, not to be overly morbid, but like, you know, sometimes those conversations can be life-saving, right? Like if somebody you know, we, we, unfortunately, the only time the news really tends to pick up postpartum depression is in, you know, a a really tragic situation. I think we're seeing it come out more and more with celebrities coming forward with their experiences, but God forbid that like nobody said anything, but they saw it. Right. We always need to say something. Just always, always say something. Yes. Speak up. Absolutely. So what are OBGYNs and midwives and pediatricians doing in regards to PMADs, considering they have so much contact with the pregnant mom and new mom? Well, it's been evolving. um, And both sectors um, have made an enormous amount of progress around the concept of screening. Um, We are very lucky here in New York City that our mayor's wife is very committed to mental health, and she has rolled out a very expansive screening initiative that strongly encourages medical providers in a hospital setting all over the city to screen moms in the entire perinatal period. Um, And so we're seeing more and more OBGYNs and PEDS screen moms at different intervals. For OBs, they can do it multiple times during the pregnancy and at the six-week follow-up visit. And then PEDS have the most interaction postpartum. And so there are some practices that screen two or three times over the course, the first year of the child's life to see if mom is manifesting symptoms. Um, I wish this was a universal practice. It's not, but it's becoming more and more common. What is the screening, just having a conversation and observing? So there's a couple of different um, tools that uh, practitioners use. There's something called the EPDS, which is a a questionnaire that has 20 questions on it. Um, Is it 20 or 30? I should know this. Uh, And so depending on the score, mom can get up to uh, 30. That's the highest. Um, So the, the, the instrument suggests that anybody over a 10 we should be concerned about. Um, And then there's some other instruments. There's the PHQ-9. That's nine questions. The PHQ-2. So they're actually asking the mom these questions or they're just moving them into conversation? They're asking the questions. So it really varies based on practice. I know one pediatric practice that gives mom the EPDS in a folder and says, I'm going to step out for a minute. Could you please fill this out and we'll review it when I come back? There are other practitioners that sit in the room or the office with mom and say, we're going to do 
this questionnaire together? Have you ever had thoughts of harming yourself or somebody Is this else? New? Because my kids are only three and six, and I had a midwife, a pediatrician, and an OBGYN, and, and nobody did that. And nobody did this. It's a grow. It's grow. It's a growing movement. There's a heck of a long way to go. I think. And I know I'm wrong because I don't know every pediatric practice in New York City, but we've gotten pretty familiar with a lot of them. There's only like three or four that do this. OBs are a lot more likely um, because their primary client is mom. Um, it's There's a lot of work that needs to happen. It doesn't happen everywhere at all, but we're seeing more and more practices take this seriously. And, you know, in all fairness, isn't really the right thing to say, but like, I think a lot of clinicians, OBs and peds alike in the past have felt a little nervous about doing this. And then what do you do with a positive, right? Like where are you supposed to send somebody? Like before the motherhood center, there are specialists in New York city, there's reproductive psychiatrists, and there are very few therapists who specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, but like, it's really, really hard to get an appointment. It's really, really expensive in private practice. So before we were here, there was also this head scratching of like, well, what if she does score 25 out of 30? I don't know where to send her. Yeah. But that's also scary that they were shying away from it because they didn't know what to do. Like that, shouldn't that be part of their practice is to have that resource. It should. And I think, you know, again, because I I do just following this closely, there are quite a few more practices. And even in three and four years, I think a lot of change has been made. I mean, certainly with my kids 11 and nine years ago, no, I had a midwife too. And, and that practice was totally amenable when I came back and said, Hey guys, are you doing this? Because this happened to me and it's happening to one in five moms. So let's get this show on the road here. Um, and I think also as practices learn that other practices are doing it, they're a little bit more amenable, but there is an enormous way to go on that. Yeah. So I or- guess if the OB or midwife or pediatrician's not doing it, again, it comes back to family, partners, friends to be aware of this. I guess the more public education. Is it a myth that um, PMADs only happen after the birth of the first child? I've heard people think that. No. And also just referring to this group that I just walked out of before I, I got on this call, it it's totally, it's, it, it's nearly impossible to know. Um, so I had one mom who was speaking earlier today. She has um, an older child at home and she just had a baby with her first child. It was fine with her second child. It, it struck like midway through her pregnancy. Um, there are some women who have three and four kids who don't have it until the third or fourth. There are some women who have it the first time around and never again. It's it's really hard to know when it's going to happen. There are indicators, though, um, that can help determine a woman's chances of developing a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. First and foremost, if a woman has a history of anxiety or depression or OCD or psychosis, then she is at much higher risk to develop those symptoms during pregnancy or in the postpartum. If there are a number of external stressors going on in a woman's life, financial, relationship-wise, stability, anything like that, then they're at higher risk for developing a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And I just want to say, when we talk about one in five women suffering we're talking about the general population. When we look at lower income communities, we see those numbers go up to 40, 50% of women suffering. Um, so that just goes to make the point that with hardships and, and external stressors going on in one, one's life, they're at higher risk. The other thing 
that we notice over and over again is a history of trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma. Um, women are at a much higher risk. And the most interesting thing that we're noticing here over and over and over again, and again, I, I wish somebody would do some research on this, women that are most at risk, and we hear this over and over and over again. And it's, I find myself thinking it's, you know, it's great that women are in a position now that we're like ready to break the glass ceiling. It's, it's wonderful. Obviously there's much further to go, but in that process and evolution of equalizing women, it's not like all the rest of the expectations of being a mom and a woman went away. And so there's that piece, but then there's also the piece of like, being type A, right? So many professional women are, you know, they live for control. They know where, you know, they're managing lots of people. They have all their papers in a perfect place. Their house is very organized. That's just how they roll. Like it gives them a sense of security to have things in control. You have a baby and control is nowhere to be found. Like you're at the beck and call of this little person who won't do anything you want it to do, who completely lives by the seat of its pants. And you can't, it's like turning your identity upside down from somebody who liked to have everything be perfect to like completely complete chaos. And that hits women who have a type A personality really hard. Yeah, I'm actually, as you said that, I'm like, I think she's describing me, um, <laughs> which is surprising that I, I didn't have these things. Um, it really shocks me, but I totally can see what you're saying. Yeah, if you're used to like, this is organized, this is how it works. And then babies just, I mean, I, kids in general, I, th- I think anyone that you're trying to control <laughs> does that. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have older kids, but like really how, how much can we control other people? Not too much. Yeah. Um, but I think you're absolutely right there. And I, and I see a lot of my clientele fall into that category, very organized, very successful. And then I see them on the other side. Um, and it, it takes some grounding afterwards. So, um, you mentioned, so those are the people at the greatest risk and it's not as a first time. So what else have I not asked you that you think it's important for new and expectant moms to know about PMAD? Uh, I think that it's incredibly important for moms to know that they're not alone, uh, that it's not their fault this happened to them. I think so frequently women feel that like they did something wrong or, you know, if only I had not eaten kale during my pregnancy, maybe this would have happened. You didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing that you could have done to prevent this from happening. Um, And most importantly is that you will get better. Um, it's the favorite question in the day program that every mom will ask at least once, if not 50 times when they're here, when am I going to get better? Can you please tell me the minute in the day exactly that I'm going to start feeling like myself again? Unfortunately, we cannot predict that, but we do know that with treatment, everybody gets better and everybody gets to have that experience of motherhood that, that the diaper commercials show us. And, and quite frankly, like I hate the diaper commercials anyway, whether you're lucky enough to have that moment or not, because it really sets a stage of expectations for every woman that that's how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to be smiling and happy and feeling like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you and joyful and proud. And the soundtrack of birds chirping as you walk along. (laughs) Through that, like it's, it has nothing to do with that, even at its best moments. I mean, it's the good and it's the bad, right? Like, and it's okay for both of those things to exist at the same time. And so it's this message that we send to women that it's that, that motherhood and the transition to 
being a mom is supposed to look a certain way. And it just doesn't. And if, if people all around you are telling you that they're having the most joyous time, I would really question that. I one day was sitting in a, in the park when I was in the lowest of the low with my son. I don't know how I made it outside. And there was this woman sitting next to me and she had this beautiful girl that was covered in pink fluffy blankets and they were smiling at each other and happy. And she looked at me and I probably hadn't taken a shower in like three weeks. And she was like, isn't this the greatest thing that ever happened to you? I feel sorry for her. I looked at her. I was like, no, this is like the worst thing I've ever done. Like sometimes I wish I'd never done it. I have no idea what I'm doing and no. And to her smile, like slowly went away. And then the tears started rushing down her face. And she was like, oh my God, thank you for saying that. I feel the same way. I think think that's so important because I feel like there's so much pressure to always make motherhood and, and parenthood and familyhood that it's supposed to be wonderful. And there's times that, you know, it is really exciting, but a lot of it, it's just kind of moving through the trudge together. Yeah. It's beautiful and lovely and it sucks. And the more that we are able to say that, then the more normal it is. And the more we can have honest, frank conversations with each other and also figure out ways to make it not suck anymore. How can we make it feel better? Can you talk a little bit, that made me think about a little bit of medication. Um, I know some women get apprehensive about taking medication when they're, when it's had a baby, if they plan on breastfeeding. I don't know if that's in your, in your realm to talk about. So it has, it has everything to do with what we do here. And so in psychiatry, there's a very special segment of psychiatrists called reproductive psychiatrists. And they um, basically work with women um, from menses to menopause is the way that they'll describe it. Our reproductive psychiatrists here specialize in the perinatal period. So they are beyond familiar with which medications are safe during pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, there has a lot of research has been done around antidepressants and the ability for them to pass through milk um, if a woman is nursing and the impact on the fetus while a mother is pregnant. And there are incredibly safe antidepressants out there that we use all the time on a regular basis. Um, and there are like point zero 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 one side effects affiliated with these medications. And I guess I would say, right, so there's there's an impact to a child and a mother and child's dyadic relationship if a mother continues to suffer and is breastfeeding, right, without treatment. And so I, a lot of times our reproductive psychiatrists will say, like, what, what's more important, right? Because if you don't treat this with a medication, then you run the risk of having a poor connection with your baby that might ultimately, if it's really bad, lead to failure to thrive. You know, like, would you, would you rather there be complications down the line? because you didn't take care of your emotional state now? Or would you like to consider doing this now, knowing that there are virtually no side effects affiliated with this, feel good, have a connection with your baby, feel confident? Like, you know, there's, 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 there are, there are ramifications if you don't. Um, and so I think that really helps moms give them some perspective around whether or not it's the right choice. Um, that's the guilt my friend had because she had been on antidepressant, anti-anxiety, um, 
while before she had her baby and then she went off of it, I believe while pregnant and was off of it while breastfeeding. And the guilt that she had was that if she went on it, it would affect the baby because through breast milk and then um, through her psychologist and her husband, myself, we were, were talking about, would it be better for your baby to have a really present mom or a mom that was, con- you know, had a lot of uh, anxiety and she exactly. realized that she wanted to be more present, but she felt a lot of, I mean, it seems like guilt and shame's everywhere in this issue, unfortunately, but she felt guilt about passing any of this onto her baby through its breath, through, through her breast milk. So I'm glad to hear there's, um, such a little amount, if any, that gets passed along. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it is, I mean, that is the theme. It's the guilt and the shame, right. And the judgment of what will people think of me or what if I'm making a terrible mistake or, you know, it, and, and it, it becomes so enormous and compounding. Um, And, you know, in the day program, I'll say 99% of our moms are on medication. Either they were on it before or they go on it while they're here. And it's really, really critical part of treatment because talk therapy can be helpful. And it's, you know, that's what I do. Um, And it can be very, very helpful in more mild to moderate situations on its own. But talk therapy plus medication, I mean, you're getting you're getting a much higher percentage rate of getting better and getting better faster if you couple the two, if that's what's necessary based on your symptoms. But, yeah, we get you know, we deal with that fear and guilt frequently. Um, You know, we also deal with a lot of guilt around moms who have made the decision not to nurse anymore because they had supply issues or because it was so painful or, you know, it just didn't work for them and the guilt and shame that women feel around that. And our motto here at the motherhood center is feeding is best. Feed your baby. That's all we care about. I think motherhood in general has guilt and shame. And I would love to you know, broaden the idea that we can mother as we do, as we feel best and not feel guilt and shame about our choices. I think you can put that guilt and shame on so much, whether you breastfeed, whether you're a working mom, whether you're a stay at home mom, whether there's, you know, emotional disorders, it's unfortunate that motherhood is just riddled in guilt and shame. It's true. And a concept that we float around here on a daily basis is this concept of the good enough mother that, there is like, who is the perfect mom? Like we'll go through exercises. Well, she looks like this and goes to the gym every day and like prepares a four course meal for her children. And we're like, do you know this person? Like, have you met her? Because I have never, ever met this woman. And what does a good enough mom look like? Well, that the kids you know, are still alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's where my husband's bar is when we leave them with the babysitter. Just make sure they're alive when we get back. Yeah, great. The kids are alive. They ate three times today. They, you know, they had their diaper. Ch- I mean, like you kept that kid alive all day. I had a mom in a group earlier today who was like, sometimes I totally get down on myself. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I kept us both alive today. I did that. And that was an enormous feat. And damn skippy it was. And that's being a good enough mother. Yeah. Oh, I loved our talk. So as we start to wrap things up, so you mentioned the Motherhood Center. Is there any other place people can find you? I know that, um, I know you're doing a workshop at Prenatal Yoga Center soon. Any place else? Uh, Gosh. So if you visit us on our website, uh, www.themotherhoodcenter.com, all one word, 
um, we've got a lot, lot, lot going on. Um, and I encourage you to visit our website. Not only do we specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorder treatment, but we also do a lot of classes and support groups around childbirth educating, breastfeeding support, infant CPR. Um, we uh, provide support to moms that are expecting twins, all kinds of things that touch the intersection of pregnancy and postpartum. Um, so check us out. And if you happen to be a mom, um, who is listening to this, um, you can always give us a call at 212-335-0034. That's all you have to do. Just give us a call. We'll start to ask you a little bit about what situation you're in, what you're feeling like, and get you in really quickly. And I think that's important, right? Like, we don't want women to suffer any longer than they have to. So we'll get you in really quickly for an evaluation and start getting you back to who you were before. Thank you so much for your time and for your information. I think we need to start taking the stigma away from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I think your explanation of uh, how to spot this, how to find support, um, take away the shame is so important. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for recognizing how important this issue is. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait to have you at the studio for your workshop. Me too. too. (laughs) All right. Well, enjoy your afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.